is ARN. Decidedly Christian, distinctly biblical, and just a little bit nuts. This is Squirrel Chatter. And welcome to the Piney Woods, ladies and gentlemen. I am your squirrel, the host, coming to you from the ARN studios, high atop the tallest tree in the Piney Woods. Good to have you with us. This is Thursday, the 11th day of January, 2022. Do you realize we are almost halfway through January? It's just started. We are almost halfway through the first month of 2024. Now, we have a tumultuous year ahead of us with the presidential election going on here in the United States. Um, it's going to be an interesting year. It's going to be a fast, hard ride. Um, we'll just have to hang on tight and trust in the providence of God. Um, I, mean, I just watched... Uh, I couldn't watch the DeSantis, uh, um, Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley debate last night because I was at youth group, but apparently it was a fireworks show. Um, there's Chris Christie dropped out. He never had a chance. Um, Ramaswamy, I don't think has dropped out, but he did not pull high enough to be in the debate last night. So the debate was between, uh, uh, Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley as they battle over second place in the uh, Republican primary. Um, as things stand right now, Donald Trump is uh, way out in front and uh, is uh, looking to run away with the uh, the nomination right now. Um, and and quite frankly, I you know. I've said this before. Um, uh, I think Ron DeSantis is the best choice for president. I also think that he's not going to beat Donald Trump in the primary. The thing with Donald Trump is, in in a very significant way, he's running as an incumbent. He's um, got all those advantages that an incumbent would have because he was just president a few short years ago. And a lot of us were very questionable, questioning of the 2020 election and the shenanigans that took place, um, many shenanigans which have not been fixed. And so he's got this um, an incumbent-like advantage in this race. And I just don't see uh, DeSantis overtaking him. Um, and, and I certainly don't see Haley overtaking him. Remember, the, the people that are pushing Nikki Haley are the same people that gave us John McCain and Mitt Romney. So consider that. Nikki Haley, if she got the nomination, would not win. These were the same people that were pushing Jeb Bush in 2016. This, these are people that, that just could not win in the general election. I think uh, either Trump or DeSantis could beat the Democrats in the general election. I still don't think Biden's going to be the nominee. Um, 
his health issues, his uh, mental cognitive, cognitive, cognitivity, his, his mental ability and mental acuity um, and lack thereof is becoming more and more obvious. So I don't necessarily see him being the nominee. Um, I think we probably have another month or so of him being the presumptive nominee, but at some point he is going to drop out. Um, his polling numbers are abysmal right now. Um, he'd have a hard time beating just about anybody. Um, his poll numbers, I believe, are lower than Jimmy Carter's, and Carter's were low. Um, so it's an interesting place to be in. So, yeah, I don't see Biden being the nominee. Um, I do see Trump being the nominee unless something extraordinary happens. Um, I, I think everybody sees through all of the legal issues that are facing Trump. These are politically motivated, politically political trials, and uh, they seem to be falling apart in a lot of ways. So that'll be interesting. We got the um, just a, an interesting, interesting time. Um, but it's it's uh, going to be an interesting year. <laughs> we'll just have to sit back and watch. Um, as I, I would be. I would be happy for four years of Trump followed by eight years of DeSantis. That would work out very well <laughs> in my mind. Um, I'd like to see the Republicans in Congress grow a spine. Um, there's just a, we, we've got to get rid of this desire to get along with the Democrats. They have no desire to get along with the Republicans. Um, now, I'm, I'm, I am an independent who is more in line. I'm a, I'm a conservative. I'm not a Republican. Um, there are a lot of people in the Republican Party who are not conservative, and I do not support them. But I'm going to probably support them over a Democrat because they're going to be more conservative than the Democrat. But the trouble with the Republican Party over the last several decades has been they have been putting forth a democrat light program. The Democrats come out with some huge socialist boondoggle, and the Republicans come out with a lighter version of the same program. Um, it's not going to cost as much, but it's still going to cost. Both parties have grown the government. We need to shrink the government. We need to get the government back to a manageable level. Um, it's time to eliminate a bunch of federal programs. It's time to eliminate a bunch of federal departments. It's time to cut the size of the federal government, cut the interference of the federal government in the lives of the American citizens, um, give a lot of the stuff that's supposed to be, according to the Constitution, the prerogative of the states back to the states, um, things like education, um, you know, get, I would, Ronald Reagan ran on abolishing the Department of Education and you know who prevented him from doing it? Republicans. Um, so 
you know, there's, there's, you know, there's, there's an importance in just getting rid of some of these cabinet departments. We have way more cabinet departments that are way more powerful than we had during World War II. And, and it's just ridiculous. Um, I would love to see the size of our government whittled down to something a lot more constitutional. Um, don't know if that's going to happen. It's like I was talking about the educational system. You know, it's going to have to be bulldozed and rebuilt. And the only realistic way that a lot of this stuff is going to be bulldozed is going to be through a total societal collapse. Before it can be rebuilt, I don't think it's going to be torn down. I think it has to fall apart. That is my personal opinion on this. We're going to have to watch it fall apart before we can rebuild it, um, which means things are going to get a lot worse before they possibly get better. Or <laughs> the Lord Jesus Christ returns and everything will get much better, much, you know, but again, that's a, that's a total tearing down of the existing system. And I'd be in hugely in favor of that as well. All right, this is Squirrel Chatter, a podcast dedicated to scripture, theology, history, current events, and whatever else I want to talk about. We webcast every Monday through Friday at 7.30 a.m. Mountain on Twitter, Facebook, and Rumble. And then the audio podcast is available for download wherever you find fine podcasts. Squirrel Chatter is a proud member of the Christian Podcast Community. You can head on over to ChristianPodcastCommunity.com. Check out all the great curated podcasts that are over there. You are sure to find something worth listening to. I guarantee it. Excuse me, the cough is still holding on. Uh, what do we got coming up on today's show? We got scripture reading. We got prayers from the Book of Common Prayer. We have a reading from John MacArthur's Daily Readings from the Life of Christ. And it's Theology Thursday. We are going to be looking at the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith, Chapter 19 of the Law of God. And today we're going to start breaking down paragraph one. So let us now begin, as is our practice, with the prayer of confession from the 2019 Book of Common Prayer. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against your holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done. And apart from your grace, there is no health in us. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Spare all those who confess their faults. Restore all those who are penitent, according to your promises declared to all people in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may now live a godly, righteous, and sober life, to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Grant to your faithful people, merciful Lord, pardon and peace, that we may be cleansed from all our sins and serve you with a quiet mind. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Now our prayer for the reading of the word. Blessed Lord, who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant us so to hear them, 
read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and the comfort of your holy word we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Our scripture reading today is Genesis 22 and Psalm 22. Genesis 22. Now it happened after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. Then he said, Take now your son, your only one, whom you love, Isaac, and go forth to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, of which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from a distance. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, while I and the boy go over there, and we will worship, and we will return to you. Then Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and put it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. Then Isaac spoke to Abraham his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built the altar there, and arranged the wood, and bound his son Isaac, and put him on the altar, on top of the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand, and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of Yahweh called to him from heaven, and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not stretch out your hand against the boy, and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only one, from me. Then Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there was a ram after it had been caught in the thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. And Abraham called the the name of that place Yahweh will provide, as it is said this day, in the mount of Yahweh it will be provided. Then the angel of Yahweh called to Abraham a second time from heaven, and he said, By myself I have sworn, declares Yahweh, because you have done this thing and have not spared your son, your only one, indeed I will greatly bless you, and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your seed shall possess the gates of his enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have listened to my voice." So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and walked together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. Now it happened after these things that it was told to Abraham, saying, Behold, Milcah also has borne children to your brother Nahor, Uz his firstborn, and Buz his brother, and Kimuel the father of Aram, and Kesed, and Hezo, and Pildash, and Jidloth, and Bethuel. 
and Bethuel was the father of Rebekah. These eight Milcah bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother, and his concubine, whose name was Reuma, also bore Teba and Gehem and Tahesh and Maaka. And now Psalm 22 for the choir director, according to Ajaleth Heshashar. Ahajaleth Heshashar. A Psalm of David. There's one of those names that really should become popular again. For the choir director, according to Ahajaleth Heshashar, a Psalm of David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my salvation are the words of my groaning. O oh my God, I call by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I have no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned upon the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted, and you rescued them. To you they cried out and were granted escape. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. But I am a worm and not a man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They smack their lip. They wag their head, saying, Commit yourself to Yahweh. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him, because he delights in him. Yet you are he who brought me out of the womb. You made me trust when upon my mother's breasts. Upon you I was cast from birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. Be not far from me, for distress is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They open wide their mouth at me as a lion that tears and roars. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaves to my jaws, and you lay me in the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers has encompassed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I count all my bones. They look. They stare at me. They divide my garments among them, and, and, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Yahweh, be not far off. O oh, my strength, hasten to my help. Deliver my soul from the sword, my only life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. From the horns of the wild oxen you have answered me. I will surely recount your name to my brothers. In the midst of the assembly I will praise you. You who fear Yahweh, praise him. All you seed of Jacob, glorify him. And stand in awe of him, all you seed of Israel. For he has not despised, and he has not abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him for help, he heard. Of you is my praise in the great assembly. I shall pay my vows before those who fear him. The afflicted will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him will praise Yahweh. May your heart live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to Yahweh, and all the families of the nations will worship before you. For the kingdom is Yahweh's, and he rules over the nations. 
All the prosperous of the earth will eat and worship. All those who go down to the dust will bow before him, even he who cannot keep his soul alive. Their seed will serve him. It will be recounted about the Lord to the coming generation. They will come and will declare his righteousness to a people who will be born, that he has done it. This is the word of the Lord. And now, our reading from Daily Readings from the Life of Christ, Volume 1 by John MacArthur. Today's devotional is entitled, Example of the Flowers. And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Matthew six twenty eight through thirty. Doctor MacArthur writes, many of the people Jesus spoke to likely had little clothing to their name, so he pointed again to their surroundings, this time to flowers, to assure them of God's concern and provision. The lilies of the field may have been a general term used for the beautiful wildflowers that grace the fields and hillsides of Galilee. Such decorations of nature make no effort to grow and have no part in designing or coloring themselves. The naked eye can see much of the amazing detail, shading and coloring of a flower, yet under a microscope it shows itself to be even more marvelous and intricate than people in Jesus' day could ever have imagined. The simple point is that not even Solomon, one of the most resplendent kings the world has ever known, could clothe himself like one of these little flowers growing abundantly on the hillside. If Jesus told those who had but one simple garment not to worry about their clothing, what would he say to us? If God bothers to array the grass of the field with beautiful but short-lived flowers, how much more is he concerned to clothe and care for his very own children? Ask yourself. Nature is indeed a constant reminder, not only of the wonder and splendor of God, but also of his daily provision. Perhaps the radical policies of today's green generation, a fervor that borders on and often becomes an idolatrous worship of the earth, can make us wary of leaning from learning excuse me, can make us wary of learning from the earth around us. But creation is a gift of God to us, designed to help us look to him as our source. Good stuff from Dr. MacArthur. All right, it is Thursday. That means it's Theology Thursday. We are looking at the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith. We are in chapter 19 of the Law of God. We did an overview of the chapter last week, and now we are beginning to break it down. And hopefully my voice will hold out. All right, so this is paragraph one of seven paragraphs in this chapter. Paragraph one reads, God gave to Adam a law of universal obedience written in his heart, and a particular precept of not eating the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, by which he bound him in all his posterity to personal 
entire, exact, and perpetual obedience, promised life upon the, upon the fulfilling and threatened death upon the breach of it, and endued him with power and ability to keep it. So in the garden, before even God creating Eve, he commanded Adam not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. One rule. That was the only rule. The only rule in the Garden of Eden was don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Anything else Adam would have done would not have been breaking the rules. But he could not eat from that tree. And it was incumbent upon Adam to obey God, to obey his creator. But he had one rule. A, a law of universal obedience written on his heart and a particular precept of not eating the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So obey God, and the only command God gave, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. <clears throat> we see that in Genesis 2.17, where we read, But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat from it, for in the day that you eat from it you will surely die. And then in Ecclesiastes 7.29, Solomon wrote, See, I have found only this, that God made men upright, but they have sought out many devices. So in the beginning, man was upright. Man was created with the precept, you know, with the, what was it, the, was it, how's it worded? The, the law of universal obedience written on the heart and the particular precept of not eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So obey God's commands, and the only command that was given was don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he says, by which he, God, bound him, Adam, and all his posterity, that's us, to personal, meaning each person is to obey God, entire, each person is required to obey God completely in all things. Exact, each person is required by God to obey him completely and exactly in all things. And perpetual, meaning always. <laughs> so every person, all of it, exactly forever obedience that is the charge which god has bound us with we are to obey him each and every one of us in everything that he has told us we are to be exacting in our obedience meaning we do what he said how he said do it and we are bound to this forever this is the, the law of obedience. Romans 10.5, Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does these things shall live by them. Um, it's not just, when he says live by them, it's not just talking about your way of life. This is how you live. It is that. But it's also by doing these things you will live. So personal, entire, exact, and perpetual obedience. 
that those four words are key and that's a key concept of understanding the obedience God requires of each and every one of us. And then the third clause, God promised life upon the fulfilling and threatened death upon the breach of it, it being obedience, and endued him with the power and ability to keep it. So Galatians 3, 10 and 12 say, For as many as are, I'll read 10 through 12, For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to do them. Remember, personal, entire, all things written in the law. Now that one is justified by the law before, that no one is justified by the law before God is evident for the righteous shall live by faith. Um, the reason no one, the, the evidence that no one is justified by the law is nobody keeps it entirely and exactly. Nobody. You know, he says, the law is not of faith. He, should, he who does them shall live by them. So it is a, you know, obey life, disobey death. It's a very, very clear setup that we are to obey God personally, entirely, exactly, and perpetually. Those four words, that's a key understanding to how God requires obedience. Now, just as an aside, none of us have done that. None of us you know, can do that because of our sinful nature. But the fact that we can't do it doesn't lessen God's requirement that we do it. And that puts us in a dilemma. The only way to live by the law is to keep the entire law exactly, completely, you know, entirely, exactly, and perpetually. Um, and that's something that none of us have done. And, and so we're in a dilemma because we are under the curse. Because cursed is everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law to do them. So every one of us is under the curse of disobedience. And the curse of disobedience is death. But there's good news. <laughs> in the person of Jesus Christ, God became a man. And he lived the perfect life you and I can't live. He did everything written in the book of the law entirely and exactly and perpetually. He fulfilled the law we can't fulfill. Then, in that most glorious, great exchange, he died the death we deserve on the cross so that when we come to Christ, by faith, trusting in his promises, repenting of our sin and believing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our sins are nailed to the cross with Christ. 
And that death penalty that we owe God is paid by Christ. But wait, there's more. In exchange for our sin, we are given, it is imputed to us, the righteousness of Christ. So we are given credit for the perfect life that he lived so that we can stand before God having legally done all the things of the law perfectly, exactly, entirely, and perpetually. Something we couldn't do was done for us. That's the good news, which is what the word gospel means. And that's why it's such a good news. We can't possibly earn our way into heaven. It is entirely of Jesus Christ. So run to Christ. Turn to him. Cry out to him to save you from the penalty of your sin. And he will answer you. All right. Do we want to get into paragraph two? It's a short one. We'll get into paragraph two, and then we will wrap it up for the day. Paragraph two. The same law that was first written in the heart of man continued to be a perfect rule of righteousness after the fall and was delivered by God upon Mount Sinai in Ten Commandments and written in two tables. The first four containing our duty towards God and the other six our duty to man. So God's righteous requirement didn't change at the fall. Perfect obedience, personal, exact, or personal, entire, exact, and perpetual. That is the requirement of the law. Now, at Mount Sinai, we see the Ten Commandments, the first four commandments dealing with our duty towards God, shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make a graven image of God. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And you shall remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Um, the Sabbath is a special commandment. We talked about that when we went through the Ten Commandments back in Deuteronomy, or in our study of Deuteronomy. But the, the, that was the sign of the covenant between God and Israel. The second table of the law the last sixth commandments is our duty to our fellow man. We're not to lie about our fellow man. We're not to kill our fellow man. We're not to steal our fellow man's stuff. We're not to covet our fellow man's stuff. Um, and we're supposed to honor our parents. So those are our, and those are not in order. <laughs> those are not in order. My dyslexia prevents me from memorizing some of these things in order. Um, I can get them all in there, but uh, I'd have to actually look at the printing of the Ten Commandments to get them in order. Um, so the first four I can get. The, the second six, uh, I was all over the board there. But uh, so this is the, the, the standard of obedience was given at Mount Sinai, and it's the same moral standard that was given to Adam, and it's the same moral standard we're had, held to. Um, so the first clause says, the same law that was first written in the heart of man continued to be a perfect rule of righteousness after the fall. 
Yeah. It's, it's something that we couldn't measure up to, but the, the measuring stick didn't change. Um, and interestingly, we're given as a proof text here, Romans 2, 14 and 15. It says, For when Gentiles who do not have the law naturally do the things of the law, these, not having the law, are a law to themselves, in that they demonstrate the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness, and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them. What does this mean? This means that God's standard of righteousness is written on every human heart, which is why it's the basis of every human law. Everybody knows that theft is wrong. Now, how can we demonstrate that? Does everybody not steal because they know it's wrong? No, of course, everybody's, you know, I think everybody steals at some point. But here's the thing. Everybody knows stealing is wrong. And we can demonstrate this by observing people's reaction when their stuff is stolen. Right? That's where you see that they know it's wrong. If you steal their stuff, they're going to get mad. Doesn't matter how many other people's stuff they've stolen. If you steal their stuff, they're going to get mad. And by getting mad, they demonstrate they know stealing is wrong. Hey, you can't take my stuff. Same thing with lying. A person might lie to everybody they meet. But if they found out you lied to them, they're going to get mad. That demonstrates that they know lying is wrong. And, and you can point that out with the entire second table of the law. There are, everybody knows in their heart how to treat each other. We don't, but we know. And so we demonstrate that we have that law written on our heart. Even, even those who didn't have access to the scriptures before modern times, and there are still not a, not a lot of, well, in absolute terms, there might be a lot, but in relative terms, there's not a lot of people who don't have access to the scriptures these days, modern times. But at the same time, you know, those who don't have access to the scriptures are judged because they know right from wrong. They also know God exists and he is worthy to be worshipped and they suppress that knowledge in their unrighteousness. Romans chapter 1, topic for another time. So this perfect moral standard was delivered by God upon Mount Sinai in Ten Commandments and written in two tables, the first four containing our duty towards God and the other six our duty to man. And Deuteronomy 10.4, And he wrote on the tablets, like the former writing, the Ten Commandments, which Yahweh had spoken to you on the mountain from the midst of the fire on the day of the assembly, and Yahweh gave them to me. Now, Jesus, when asked what were, what's the greatest commandment of the law, said you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second commandment of the law is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. And he said, on these two laws, on these two commandments, hang the entire law and the prophets. Meaning what? 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That means you worship God. You worship God how he wants to be worshiped. You worship only God and you obey him in all things as you are able. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second one is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. That means you don't steal his stuff, you don't sleep with his wife, you don't murder him, you, you don't lie about him. You know, do you see how it works together? If you love your parents, you're going to honor them. So the, the love, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself is the summary of the law. And keeping that in mind will, will help you navigate your days. Trust me. Um, so we have this same perfect moral standard. Now, we're going to get into the difference between the, the, the moral law and the ceremonial law and the civil law, and we're going to get into um, the uses of the law as we continue through this chapter. And all of that's really important. But uh, what I want to take, take away today is there is still a perfect moral standard. And we are to strive to live by it. Even knowing we will fail. While it, and, and trusting in, in the Lord Jesus Christ to save us from the penalty of our failure. We still try to live by it. Because it's still the perfect, true, holy, righteous standard of right and wrong established by our God and our Creator. And we are required to obey Him personally, entirely, exactly, and perpetually. So hang on to that. All right, we'll pick back up next Thursday with more of that. Let us now, so that's two of seven we've gone through. <laughs> Let's now recite our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now, the colic for the first Sunday of Epiphany, which was the seventh last Sunday. Eternal Father, at the baptism of Jesus, you revealed him to be your son. And your Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove. Grant that we, who are born again by water and the Spirit, may be faithful as your adopted children. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The Colic for Guidance. Heavenly Father, in you we live and move and have our being. We humbly pray you so to guide and govern us by your Holy Spirit, that in all the cares and occupations of our life, 
We may not forget you, but may remember that we are ever walking in your sight. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And then for the unrepentant we pray. Merciful God, you desire not the death of sinners, but rather that they should turn to you and live. And through your only Son you have revealed yourself as the God who pardons iniquity. Have mercy on the unrepentant and those who do not believe. Awaken in them by your word and Holy Spirit a deep sense of their sinfulness and peril. Take from them all ignorance, hardness of heart, and contempt of your word. Grant them to know and feel that there is no other name under heaven given among men by which they must be saved, but only the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so bring them home and number them among your children, that they may be yours forever through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, world without end. Amen. All right, folks, that is Squirrel Chatter for today. I hope you have the best of Thursdays and uh, all your tasks go well. Um, it looks like our task today is going to be shoveling snow. Um, one forecast I saw said three to six inches of snow coming down today. Another forecast I saw says up to 17 inches coming down today. In either case, the snow shovel will uh, be be out and about um, on 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 the uh, on the plains of our driveway today. So here in the Piney Woods, it looks like it's going to be a snowy day, and then tonight the bottom is dropping out. Um, beginning tonight and for the next several nights, we are looking at sub-zero temperatures. And that's sub-zero Fahrenheit, which is colder than sub-zero Celsius. It's going to be cold here in the Piney Woods here in this, is this the third week of January? Yeah. Anyway, second week of January. It's going to get cold. So we're, we're battening down the hatches and we're prepared to shovel the driveway. We're going to have a crock pot of chili going today so that... Uh, after we have done all of our tasks, we will be able to to uh, settle in and eat something hot to warm back up. So that's our Thursday. <laughs> Hope your Thursday goes a little bit easier. Um, this time of year, I always remind myself that I have never, ever, ever, not even once, had to shovel sunshine. So... Um, I, I could easily become a snowbird. Uh, can't afford to become a snowbird, but just from my own uh, own uh, comfort and everything, you know, wouldn't mind having a, a motorhome big enough to live in to drive down to Arizona every uh, every uh, right after Christmas. I'd stay up here through Christmas. I want to get the white, I want, I want the Christmas and the winter and everything. And then here, first part of January, head south and stay down there till April <laughs> and then come back up here. I would do that if I could. Can't afford to do that. If you'd like to contribute to my efforts to do that. <laughs> oh, just kidding. All right, folks, have a great day. Remember to do the things you ought to do. Don't do the things you ought not do. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of the Lord. We'll see you again here tomorrow for another episode of Squirrel Chatter. Take care. God bless.
Squirrel Chatter is recorded in front of a live studio hamster.